All right, John, can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect today from the Q&A? Yeah, well, so I hope you guys have been around for the last seven weeks, because for the last seven weeks, we've been trying to lay out a lot of evidence of why you can be a thinking person and believe that God really did what he did through Jesus, and that, um, that the Bible is really from God. And we've given a lot of evidence. So if you haven't paid attention or been here for those series, I really hope you'll go back uh, and listen to it. Um, and we wanted to do that because some people do think that you have to become, you know, you have to cut your head off, you can't be a thinking person and have faith. And in fact, we, uh, <laughs> Camille censored me. I wanted to call the, the, the series, Is Christians Dumb? <laughs> she didn't think it would go off well on the road. <laughs> like, like they might believe us. <laughs> that like we, that's not gonna make for a great street sign. <laughs> So I actually may prove that Christians is dumb today. I don't know, we'll see. Um, but you know, we do think there are good reasons to believe. Now let me say, not all answers are created equal. Uh, meaning, I'm not really giving a question and definitive answer, I'm giving a response. I'm giving, as your pastor, I'm giving you the response I've wrestled through with and some I've wrestled with a lot more than others. Some might be off the top of my head, which means that you may disagree with me on some of these and that's okay. Um, I don't know everything. So I don't have every answer to every question. But I have wrestled with, with all this for about 30 years uh, or more. And so I'm gonna give you my best answer. Um, one other thing is not all questions are created equal uh, as well. So like um, some questions are really sincere seeking questions. Like from a heart that really wants to know is there a God and what does God think? And I'm willing and open, I just need to understand. Honestly though, some questions are smoke screens. Meaning, we have questions that we put to God and we basically in our hearts say, and until you can answer it to my satisfaction, you know, stay away. And I, I say that because I think it's important to, to consider your own heart in all of this because I find over in 30 years of ministry, God doesn't respond well uh, to a proud, arrogant question that's like, God, you prove it or forget it. He, he just doesn't seem to respond to that. But to a humble, willing, seeking question in heart, I find he, uh, he, he goes out of his way. Um, and so I think it's important to even ask yourself, am I really seeking you know, God with a humble, willing posture or am I demanding of God? And, and that's important as well because not all questions and answers should be weighted equally. I, I like to think about it kind of like this. Like I, I have had lots of questions. I still have lots of questions. Um, but why that's okay is because some questions are of more importance when it comes to faith and trust in God than others. So I like to think about them like, and, and I found really good answers to my first order questions. So I like to think about it kind of like a picture a target with a bullseye and then an outer ring and another outer ring. And in the bullseye are these first order questions and you got second order, third order questions. So first order questions are uh, the ones we'll try to prioritize today. Um, and really they're questions that are central to Christian faith. Um, and, and that's really what we're talking about today. So they're questions that really uh, most all who have claimed to be Christ followers or Christians over the years have pretty much agreed to. Is Jesus the son of God? You know, the nature of God. Did Jesus really die 
uh, to forgive our sins and overcome death. Um, we can know God and follow God as Holy Spirit is leading us. The Bible is authoritative and trustworthy, those kinds of things. So those would be first order questions. Now, the reason that's important is because most all Christians have agreed on that for most all history. But there's second order questions that Christians disagree on. Bible-believing Christians can have different opinions because it's not completely clear in Scripture. Now, the thing about second order questions is they're practical, uh, meaning you kind of have to make a decision. Like, um, you know, does the Bible teach that... uh, all the gifts are, are, are uh, operating today. Some Christians say no, some Christians say yes. Does it mean half of them are not really Christians and half of them really are? No. They can truly believe in the core tenets of faith, really have faith in Jesus and disagree on that. But it has practical implications. So second order questions are important because they have practical implications. They're not un- unimportant, they're just not central. Third order questions are questions like, did God create through the process of evolution or did God create by divine fiat? And the reason that's a third order question is because we don't know and we will not know honestly until eternity fully because we can't go back in history and see. We can see evidence, right? So we wrestle with it. But the other other reality is um, you There are Christians who believe in the Bible and can make biblical reasons for it and differ. It's not core to faith and, uh, you know, it doesn't have practical application. So keep those in mind. Uh, I think that's important. One one other thing to keep in mind is I would really encourage you, whether you're a skeptic or a, a, a Christ follower, don't quickly come to judgment about first order issues based on an answer in a second or third order question you don't like. Uh, I have seen this a lot. Like I've seen skeptics completely reject all the evidence for who Jesus claimed to be and what God claimed to do in history because some Christian believe that evolution cannot be the way God created. And they're like, well, if that's the case, then forget the whole thing. That's a big mistake. Um, and, And I think, so I think it's important to realize There are Christians who differ on some of these second order, third order things, and yet we can be united on what's most important in following Christ and what we know about him. Okay? So. No, that's really helpful. Awesome. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. All right. So we've received some questions over this past week, so we're going to start with a couple of those. And so some people are asking about the Bible itself. How can we know that the Bible was truly inspired by God, that we can trust the authors of the Bible? Uh, we got uh, a couple that asked, how do we know that the Bible wasn't written with drugs fueling those, those authors, maybe ayahuasca or something like that? So how do we know that the Bible is based in truth and was inspired by God? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, and you know, when, when I was trying to decide, am I really going to leave my engineering career, what I studied to be, to go into ministry, that was, that was my main question. It's like, I realized like, uh, you know, everything we believe rests on this book. And how do I know this is really from God? So I think that's an excellent question. Um, and, and let me say, uh, I think there, there are multiple lines of, of reason here. One, uh, the Bible is... Uh, the most unique in composition book there's ever been. You may not know this, it's not one book, it's 66 books. It was written in three languages in 
on three continents over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. And yet there's this harmony to the story. Think about that. Think about t- taking uh, 66 different books written over 1,500 years and trying to get one common theme of a story or agreement in any one area. It's amazing just if you look at it just as, as literature. Um, it's also unique in transmission. And I've, I've talked some about this that, you know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found copies of 38 out of 39 or fragment copies of 38 out of 39 books of the Old Testament, many predating Jesus. Okay, so we have copies over 2,000 years old in our hands. One is a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. It, in 2,000 years of transmission, only has 5% changes, okay? But the changes are changes like copy errors, misspellings. None of them change the meaning of the text in 2,000 years of transmission. So the, the, the claim, hey, you know, the phone game, you know, that's happened. You can't trust it or believe it wrong, but people just don't, don't know what a unique book it is. Um, you know, then, then Jesus comes and Jesus validates all of the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, the law and the prophets, not a jot or tittle, meaning not a dot of the I or a cross of the T will be done away with until all of it's fulfilled. And he claimed he came to fulfill it. Then he says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, when I go, will come and remind you of all I taught you and claim to inspire them. And eyewitnesses or those who interviewed eyewitnesses wrote the books of the New Testament, eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and teachings. So it's, it's incredibly uh, unique in its transmission, but it's also incredibly unique in its claims because it claimed to be uh, speaking from God. You know, these Old Testament prophets over 500 times use this phrase, you know, the Lord said. So it's not just like, here's human opinion or, or myth. And here's why it's not just myth. Because, and this is what I, I, I tried to show you in the Outlaw series uh, the, the last seven weeks. So go listen to that because I can't get into all of it today. But God said, here's how you'll know I'm the true God. Only I know the future. And the, the test of an Old Testament prophet was if they, if they claimed, they had to claim to know what was going to happen. And if they claimed something and it didn't happen, it was severe. It was the death penalty. You didn't have many Gene Dixons back then. <laughs> you didn't have many, you know, uh, getting 50% right. Uh, and, and, and so, so that, and I showed you that the what, when, where, why of Jesus was all foretold. And we have proof that it was foretold before he did it that God foretold things that would happen with whole nations in our day and time, 1948, uh, what happened with Israel, what happened with Babylon, what happened with Tyre, whole nations. So there are lots of, of reasons to believe that, that God really was at work. He's been communicating with us because he wants to be known and he did that for, uh, for relationship ultimately. That's great. So that was I'm, a long answer. I'm going to no. have to really get it shorter than that. I'm watching, <laughs> watching his time. Don't worry. So I'm just going to now delete my question about ayahuasca. So that's perfect. You've answered it. Awesome. No. <laughs> awesome. It wasn't okay. ayahuasca. Well, we've got another one. But there we've, is mystery. We've gotten several questions about how we know that uh, the God we follow is the one that is the one true God. Many people are wanting to know, will people that love God but follow another religion go to hell? How do we really know that Jesus is the only way? 
Well, that's a lot in one. That's a lot. Well, okay. let's shorten it. Well, how do we know that the uh, that people who love God but follow another religion do, will they go to hell? Can we can we know what will happen there? All right. Well, would you like a different question? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> We've got many. <laughs> okay, so. Um, I find that most people have, have uh, make assumptions, and it's assumptions based on what's heard. So what's heard is, well, all the religions basically say the same thing, and they're all the same path up the, up the mountain to the same t- mountaintop, which arrives at God. And, and here's after studying the texts of the major world's religions, I would say that they do all say the same thing about morality. I mean, it's amazing. In fact, C.S. Lewis, an Oxford scholar, um, literary scholar studied it, and he's, he shows how there is a common moral law found in just about all the religious texts of the world in just about every culture for all history. It's really uncanny. Now, I think that's actually biblical. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, it says God has put his law in our hearts. So it makes sense that in our religious pursuits, in our pursuit, and by the way, we are a religious people. We are always trying to figure out how do I fit in the transcendent universe, like the things that are bigger than me, bigger than me in that we want purpose, we want love, we want meaning, these things that are, they're not just physical, right? They transcend just physical life. And we're trying to figure that out. And so it comes out in our religious pursuits. And so, you know, it's amazing how we do agree on basic right and wrong. Now, as I've said before, what does that teach us? Well, it teaches us that in all cultures for all time, we've known basic right and wrong, and yet we always do right, right? No, we consistently do wrong. We consistently hurt each other. We consistently, we don't even keep our own moral law. <laughs> you ever, you know, you ever said I'll never, but you did? And, and so what does that teach us? Well, it, it teaches us, and you know, this is an important thing, because Christians are not claiming that Christians are right and all the other religions are wrong. What the Bible is claiming is that Christians are wrong, Buddhists are wrong, Muslims, Jews, atheists, everything in between. We're all wrong, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's ideal, of what he intended. But now the question is, well, if there's a God, then what does he do with that? And that's where Jesus is unique. By the way, I don't think Jesus came to establish uh, a religion per se. He came to reconnect everyone from every religious background or mythology or worldview into right relationship with the one true God. And he came to reveal that God. And by the way, um, if you search the scriptures of the world's religions, you'll find there's only one like him in history. Um, the, 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 the ones who claim to write the, the text of the world's religions, none claim that they were actually revealing God in human history. And, and that's not my opinion. It's fascinating. There's a book called Truth and Religion written by Mortimer Adler. He was like Time Magazine philosopher of the century for America. He wrote the encycl- he edited Encyclopedia Britannica, great books of Western civilization, smart guy, okay, humanist. <laughs> not a Christian, not a believer in any of this, end of his life, he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study, is there truth to be found in any of the world's religions? Here's what he discovered. He came, he came to the conclusion that there are only three 
uh, of the divine sacred text that even claim, okay, so that's important, even claim in actual factual historical claims that God has revealed himself in actual history. And he said that is uh, the, the Jewish religion, that's the Old Testament, the Christian religion, the, the New Testament, and Islam, which came 600 years later and was based on the Old and New Testament claiming to be a revision. And all of those, interestingly, talk about Jesus as the Messiah. And, and so that's where we ought to start, is trying to figure, that I think is the bullseye central question. Is Jesus who Jesus claimed to be? And, and what the Bible says about him. And you figure that out first, and then the second, third, and all the other questions start to fall into place. Really good. Did I answer the question? I think you answered I the question. I kind of got lost. No, I think you answered right. it. That's great. All right, so. Oh, no, I didn't. Well, that's a, you kind of tacked on the go to hell thing. Yes. <laughs> I didn't tack on, I didn't tack on, user 439 tacked it on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. They just well, want to know, if I have a Muslim friend, is he going to hell? Yeah, what about those who have never heard? I think that's, that's a, a very important question. And, and um, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, you've heard a lot here if you've been around that uh, God wants relationship. That's actually what God's after most. And that's why God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Because we, we can't even comprehend the infinite unseen God uh, but he revealed himself in a form we could understand, the form of Jesus, and lived and taught and healed and did all these things and then claimed to die to pay for all our wrongs for all time, for all humanity, so that a human heart turning back to God in faith can be made right with God. Now, the Bible does claim things. Like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds like a very exclusionary claim, right? But it's actually not if Jesus really was God. Because if Jesus really was God, well, then of course you can't come to God except through Jesus. Because they're one and the same. See what I'm saying? And what Jesus did was actually including everyone. Jesus said, anyone. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh, he said, you know, he, he died for the sins of the whole world, that anyone can be made right with God. So, you know, the question is, um, what about those who have never heard? The Bible doesn't actually tell us. So it tells us we can know that we're right with God because of faith in Jesus, of, of just simply saying, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness, God. I want your leadership. But what about those who've never heard? Here's what we do know from the Bible. We know God is just and fair. Um, it says, I think it's in Chronicles, that, the, that God searches the whole earth looking for hearts that are truly committed to him. So God is the only one who can judge the heart. We can't right? And he's looking for hearts that are truly seeking him, truly committed to him. Um, the second thing we know is that nobody goes to hell uh, based on religious background or IQ or a lack of knowledge. Um, I believe there is the only reason anybody would be cast out of God's presence for eternity is because that's what they wanted. That's actually not just my opinion. C.S. Lewis said a similar thing. He said, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. 
In other words, people so want to play God. And by the way, this is the sin of all sins. You know, the, the central chief sin is we want to play God. We want our will be done above all else instead of God's will or even seeking God's will. And so then we dominate and control and manipulate and coerce and abuse and use. And, 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 and so when people insist on that and they will not let God rule, they won't let him be God. I want to be God. Eventually God says, okay, okay, your will be done. But he's done everything he can to say, to remove every barrier between, between us and God or between us being separated from God except our pride. So pride is really the only thing that gets you out of God's presence, out of the light and love and life of God for eternity. And there's only one place where God stays uninvolved, and that is hell. So, um, I think that, no, that answers, you, you ticked off a lot of questions here, so that's really good. Yeah, I'm, but I you, am. No, that's good. You, you've, you've, you've talked about how God and Jesus are one and the same, which is great. But you started to mention the afterlife, and we got a lot of questions about the afterlife and about heaven. Seems Wait, let like me say people, one, more, one more thing please, on this. Please, people think you're a heaven expert, so okay, we've got a lot right, of this. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's... So here's another very important thing on what about those who have never heard. There will be people who have never heard about Jesus who will be in heaven because of faith in Jesus. Now let me explain. So Abraham, Moses, Rahab the prostitute, all these people written about in the Old Testament who had what what is called the faith of Abraham. And in Hebrews chapter 11, they are the heroes of faith. They will be in heaven. Now how? Because they had never heard the name of Jesus, and yet it says that apart from what Jesus did, no one will be in heaven. So somehow God took the light that they had and, and looked at their heart and their faith. In other words, they recognized, and this is, I think is a pivotal thing, they recognized their need for God's forgiveness. You know, they weren't playing God. They weren't saying, well, whatever I decide is right. They're like, no, my moral conscience tells me I've, I've done wrong. And they sought God's forgiveness in that. And they sought God's leadership. And he applied what Jesus would do to their faith. And so they're ahead and they're made right. Now, can God look at people who have never heard about Jesus and look at their hearts and apply what Jesus did to them like that? I guess. The Bible doesn't tell us if that's what he does. But if you're worried... We know in Revelation chapter 5 and 7, it says, in heaven, gathered around the throne, worshiping God are people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. So somehow he works it out. So the more important thing is, we don't know how God will judge those who don't know, but those who do know what he's done through Jesus and yet just kind of keep an arm's distance, they are rejecting God. So don't be one of those using the question of, well, I don't understand how God will judge someone else to just keep God at arm's length. That would be a big mistake. That's good. Okay. Yes, no, that's great. Heaven, let's talk about it. All right, some people wanna know about what heaven will be like and some people kind of wanna know, but you, you answered a little bit here. We got one question that asked, will people get one last chance? Maybe we see on television sometimes that uh, like people get to the pearly gates and God's kind of like, all right, do you believe or don't you believe or something like that? Will there be kind of one last chance, one last offer when we die to get us into heaven? Ultimately, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
But, but, but here's what I do know. Um, think about it. If God really is the God revealed in Jesus, he loves every person he created, every person, so much that he put the price tag of each person at the highest price a human can imagine, right? He entered human history and gave up everything for that one. And so that's God's grace, that he would die so that a human heart turning to him is all he needs. I mean, that's, that's story after story of the prodigal, the return of the prodigal, right? Comes running home and God runs to him and, and welcomes him and celebrates. So if that is the heart of God, then I would not doubt that God is giving someone every possible opportunity to the last possible instant. Um, and we yes, just don't know when that is. We don't know when that is. And imagine heaven, you know, I write, you know, in studying a thousand near-death experiences, that was a bit of a surprise to me. And it was, it was a conundrum for many years. Um, I mean, that was not new. I I did my first talk on uh, the Bible and near-death experiences in 1989, the University of California, Santa Barbara. So I've been looking at this for a long time. And one of my questions was... Guess how old I was in 1989. Don't do that. You weren't. So, uh, respect your elders. (laughs) That's great. No, that's great. That answered. So we have one more heaven question, but this one will have to be short because we're getting a lot of tweets and I want to go over to those. So one more heaven question. What semblance of free will will there be in heaven? Ooh, that's a good one. It's juicy. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is a, so even that whole question of, you know, do we have free will, but God chooses and his will ultimately will be done you know even even here on earth that's a mystery right and that's what I love about the Bible the Bible reveals things about God that in our finite world don't completely make sense which quite honestly if you have an explanation of God that completely makes sense guess what God's finite and that's a problem (laughs) right Because God, by definition, created time and and space and is not finite. So um, in the Bible, there are an equal number of statements about God choosing or, you know, predestination versus free will. So both are true, which seems like a conundrum to us, but that's because all of that has to do with time and God's not bound by time. Time is a succession of choices. But eternity, I think time works different. You know, Peter says uh, to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And interestingly, those who had near-death experiences said a similar thing. They don't know how to describe it. It's like time doesn't work like that. It doesn't work the same way. So I think personally that there will be free will in heaven. There must be. And, uh, And here's why. Because love is what God is doing. In fact, I think that's what makes sense of why God has created us in the knowledge of good and evil. We experience both and why God remains hidden for a time. Because I think he wants more than moral obedient creatures. You know, if he wanted just moral obedient creatures, he could force that. He wants us freely choosing to love and trust him. And I think he wants that for all eternity. And that's why we go through this season on earth, a time capsule that won't last forever, 70 years, maybe 100, where we have successive choices, opportunities to choose, even to fail, and by God's grace be forgiven and learn and grow to trust him so that 
in eternity, we will trust him and love him forever because we will have a history of earth, which I believe is like one one thousandth of how great heaven is going to be, but I think it's also one one thousandth of how horrible it can be when, when, when people get their way apart from God. In other words, hell, the place where there is no light, life, or love of God. So, John, that one's supposed to be short. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so we've got, we've got, but no, it's so good, and it answered a lot of questions. So we get, we get a lot of check marks for that one. Okay, so we've got time for just a few more, and there are a lot of big okay, ones, so that we want to get. Yes. Yeah. So we got a ton, a ton of questions about sex and sexuality. Great. So I know you knew they were coming. You knew they were coming. Yes. So we got questions about what the Bible teaches about dating people who are divorced or dating when you're divorced. We got, so I'm going to give you some examples and then you're going to just dive in in your John way and I'm excited about it. Yeah. Uh, We got questions about living together, about sex outside of marriage, about um, sexual identification and sexual orientation. Lots of questions about sex and what God says and what Gateway thinks. What Gateway thinks isn't that important. Okay, perfect. Check. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Okay, so let me say, first of all, this this is one of those questions that I find many people when they don't get the answer they want, judge God, judge others, and, and run. Don't make that mistake. Um, and and, and I, so I want to I paint a bigger framework. And by the way, we did a whole series called God Hearts Sex. And I would highly encourage you to go listen to that whole series because I'm going to try to summarize six weeks of teaching Okay, yeah. in what? How much? A minute? Two minutes? A minute Three minutes? That's going to be fun. You can do okay. it. Yeah challenge. So here's the thing. God's motive is always love. And, and honestly, what, what Gateway thinks doesn't really matter. The question is, what does God think? Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust, you know, what the Bible says and why it says it? And wrestling with that is okay. It is. Trying to, trying to wrestle with it and understand. But I've come to believe that God's motive is, is always love. Now, one of the biggest problems I find in our society is we have pretty much deified sexuality. We've made sexuality a god. Now, think about it. If you were an alien and you came to planet Earth and just watched TVs and movies and what we culturally value, what would you say we value most? Love? So is sex equal to love? Hollywood's had a lot of sex. How are they doing on love? Right? And, and I, I, I say that because it's so important. We get it all confused. And, and we often judge God because he doesn't understand. But stop and think about this. God created us, loves us, and, and everything he created is good, but he, has, he, he says it's good in context. It's kind of like fire. Fire is good. Fire can bring warmth. Fire can bring light. You can cook food by fire. But fire unrestrained can burn down your house and destroy your life. And sex is similar. So, so we have been told in our society, it's all good. If it feels good, do it. As long as you love the person, whatever you want is good. But it's a lie. So think about it from God's perspective. He loves people. And anytime God says don't, it's, it's not to just, you know, 
be mean or punish us. It's because he loves us and wants to protect us or provide something better. And so he gives context to sex and sexuality because he knows when it gets unrestrained, it causes all kind of damage we don't often see. So our society says, no, no harm, no foul. But God sees, I mean, think about like pornography. Oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. Really? I have dealt with a lot of porn addicts. And do you know all the sexual abuse that comes out of that kind of thinking? I mean, one out of four women are sexually abused. One out of 10 men today. And it's not just physical, friends. It takes them years, decades. If it was just physical, they'd be able to overcome it easily. They don't. Think about one out of four Americans has a sexually transmitted disease. Think about all the birth defects caused by that. Think about all the pain you guys have felt, the generation of divorce. After the sexual revolution in the 60s, divorce rate went up 300% in one decade because of adultery and unfaithfulness. Think about the multiplication of pain that's happened. Uh, and I mean, I could, I could go on and on. That's God's perspective. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And so he wants us to learn to trust him. Now, one other thing I would say about this is that, um, you know, God doesn't force our obedience. You ever notice that? It's what we hate about life. It's why we get mad about God. Why didn't he just stop all this stuff that hurts me? Well, because if he just did away with all evil, he would have to do away with all us. And so God is actually doing something different. He is working with our willingness to learn to trust him and follow him and grow up in love and, and not confuse sex with love. See, whether, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, you know, sex and love are not equal. Jesus was the perfect human. He never had sex, but he wasn't missing or lacking love. And, and these kinds of things are important, important to wrestle with. So I know I, I didn't answer all of it, but I would really encourage you uh, to go listen to that, that series where we, we did a whole series on uh, yeah. God Heart Sex. Awesome. Okay, we've got time for one more question. But we don't actually, but we'll take one more question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got a ton of questions about, essentially about suffering. So we've got uh, pain and suffering violence, just a lot of, of things like this. I'll give you some examples because it runs uh, across a wide spectrum. So for some people, they talk about their own lives and say they don't really feel like they have anyone loving in their own lives or that their families are against them. Then we've got, uh, we had someone who was uh, in Iraq who uh, watched many, many men and women die. Uh, so talks about kind of the evils of that and the violence of that. We hear about disease and um, babies dying, newborns dying. So people want to know. Yeah, people want to know. I know. <laughs> Downer. <laughs> trying to end it on a no, good note here, but yeah. No, it's the most important question, and honestly, yeah. um, it's it's the one I think that people that turn people away from God most. You know, I, we, we I've seen many atheists come to faith. And um, I find at the root of most struggle against God is not legitimate questions, but hurt. Mm -hmm. um, God hurts us, he, or he doesn't do what we expected. And I get it. I mean, my faith started with my dad dying. And I can remember, like, uh, the cussing I did in my head at God. 
And like, I, you know, if, if this is who you are, forget it. And I was going, I was like, I was doing that. I was doing that very thing. But I stopped and I thought a little harder about it. And I thought, okay, I'm suffering. My dad's died. I hate it. I've already been living apart from God. If there is no God, then there is nothing except this. <laughs> and and, and it, it got me thinking. It's like, there's no redemption to all this pain and suffering and evil. If there is no God, it sucks and then you die and then it's lights out. So why do we complain? Think about that. If it's just the way it is, we shouldn't be complaining. Um, you know, the fact that we complain tells us instinctively we know something's wrong here. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so it's not going to be resolved completely here. And that just points us to some, something we were created for. And, um, and I think, so what I started to realize is that God is actually the hope that all this evil and suffering will find redemption. But the other thing that's encouraging is that Jesus came to show us God's heart toward our suffering. Um, he entered into it. Uh, and, and he came and he healed our diseases and he took away oppression and he tried to right injustice. I mean, he did it in little bits, but he said, this is the kingdom of God coming. Now, Jesus also taught us to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means God's will is not done on earth. This is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of all our wills rule. And he has put us here for a time. This is a, this is a birth canal, friends. Earth is just a birth canal of eternally free loving creatures. You're not temporal. You're eternal. And so God has given us this experience because he's birthing eternally free loving creatures who will ever freely choose to love God. Because we've experienced what it's like when we get our way apart from God's way. You know, when, when the order of creation is disturbed, when God's will and ways aren't done. So God, so God wants us to, to seek him in that. But he enters into our suffering. One analogy real quick and then I'll stop. Okay. I, think, I like to think about it when I had, when my, my daughter cracked her head when she was five and he had subdural bleeding, which meant it could pressure up and kill her. And they had to give her an MRI and inject her with dye and she screamed bloody murder and you know, begged me to make the doctor stop. They had to do it a second time the next day. And she would not let the doctors near. And the doctor looked at me and said, Dad, you're going to have to hold her down. And I had to hold my daughter down as she was screaming and crying. Why are you doing this to me, Daddy? What? Stop them. Stop it. Don't do this. And I'm crying. <laughs> and she's crying because I'm suffering with her. Why would I do that to her? Well, because I saw something she didn't. I saw something that could be far, far better or far, far worse in the future if I don't go through this with her. Mm. And I believe that's God's perspective, even in our suffering. That's great. Thank you, John. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're way over time, but I want to end No, with we're not. 30 seconds. They just changed the time so that you wouldn't uh. leave. Yeah. <laughs> Which was nice of them, yeah. Okay, so we've got a last second, 10 second buzzer question. If you go over 10 seconds, I'll buzz you. Okay. Does Jesus laugh? Yes. 
Buzz, good job. That's awesome. That's great. All right. That's a great job. All right, well, as you can imagine, there were a lot of questions that we didn't get to. What can you tell us? Yeah, so um, we're going to have a website quest or uh, an email, questions at gatewaychurch.com. And, and let me say, if, if you still had questions that are like, they are really important to you for coming to faith or figuring out this God, Jesus, Bible stuff, um, we want to answer those, you know? Or if it's like, if this is one that's just like, it's got me stuck completely, we want to answer them. Now, we may, it may take us a month, I don't know, it depends on how many we get, um, but our pastoral staff will try to answer those. If you didn't get your question answered and it's really important, send it to us, okay? And then let me just wrap up, can I? Please. Uh, with a couple of things. So, you know, in my journey, uh, I wrestled for uh, a year uh, with, with a lot of my questions, asking my questions, trying to get it figured out. And at the end of that year, I still didn't have all the answers to all my questions. And guess what? I still don't today. I still have a ton of questions. But here's what I realized after that year. I realized, but I do have good evidence, good reason to believe that God is real, really does love me, really did reveal himself through Jesus so that I could know God and know his character and know, and know his will enough that I could enter into relationship and confidence that I'm right with God. And you can too. And so here's the big question that I realized that night is that God has a question for us. What will you do with what you do know? You know, in other words, if, if you do know this stuff about Jesus, what are you going to do with it? Are you really going to seek till you get to the, to the end where it's like, you know, no, this is all a bunch of crud, you know? I was going to say another word, yeah, but watch church. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you do, come talk to me about it. Because if I'm absolutely wrong after 30 years, I'd love to know it. I really would. But I've never had anybody take me up on that. So don't use your questions as smoke screens. Get to the end of it. Really seek with all your heart. And then if you have gotten to where, you know what, I don't have a qu every answer, but I have enough, then eventually you got to come to a place of going, it's not about just intellect, it's about heart. And saying to God, okay, God, if relationship is what you want, I do. That's what he wants to know. I do. I do need your forgiveness and I want your leadership. You come be God of my life. I'm tired of playing God of my life. That's all he needs. You know, uh, heaven is a gift. Relationship with God is a gift. He's removed every barrier except your pride. What we do from there matters, but that's all about growing up in love. And it's about, you know, God rewarding us in this life and for eternity. But, but heaven and relationship, that's a gift. So I hope, um, I hope you will make that decision and if you already have made that decision, one last thing, if this is all real, it's the most important thing. Are you living like it's the most important thing? Or, or do you keep living like God is secondary? And I would encourage you, get serious about your relationship with God. You know, some of the questions I read before were like, why, why, do Christ, why are Christians so mean? Or why are they so judgmental? Or why don't they act like Jesus? It really hurts. 
And I'll tell you, it's, it's because we keep doing our will instead of seeking God's will. We don't take this seriously enough. We take ourselves way too seriously. So let me encourage you in that. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you that you uh, have given us so many good reasons to believe. And Lord, thank you that you've made it so simple. All you need is a heart turning back to you in faith, saying, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want your leadership. And you say, that's it. We're right with you for eternity. But God, the point of you doing that is so that we would walk with you, learning to trust you more and more every day, every way. And God, help us be people. If we claim that we follow Christ, help us be people who really put that first above all else. Your will be done in my life today, Lord, even above my own. I pray that we will be those kinds of people so that we demonstrate your heart and your love to everyone. That's what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, let's stand and let's, uh, let's sing and worship this God that has given us so many answers.